And tonight, I have two very special guests. I have Duncan Cryle and Karen McAllister. Duncan is a senior director at a global software company with over 25,000 employees, where he also leads a company-wide mindfulness program. He was previously one of the pioneers of IBM's mindfulness community. He is a founding member of Clear Sky Center in British Columbia, Canada, and is co-executive director there. He co-teaches Clear Skies Integrating Mindfulness and three-month residential mindfulness in action program. Karen McAllister is the founder of Mindful Money Coaching and is passionate about building the bridge between spirituality and money. She believes that our current relationship with money reflects a spiritual crisis in the human race. She is a founding member of Clear Sky Meditation Center in British Columbia, Canada. She has been director of fund development since 2008 and board chair from 2014 to present. She co-teaches Clear Skies Integrating Mindfulness and serves the community in helping them clean up their relationship with money. Duncan and Karen, thank you so much for being here with us tonight. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, you're Hi, welcome. Max. Hi, yeah, Max. Pleasure to be here. Um, so to get started, you know, both of you are experts in mindfulness. And so tell us a little bit about it. What exactly do you mean when you use the word mindfulness? What is it and how can people apply it to their lives in a meaningful way? Yeah, great, great question. So I think mindfulness is a pretty common term these days um, that most people are familiar with. The, the way we're using it, it's a sort of more a traditional sense so in one way very simple it's just bringing your awareness your presence fully into what you're doing with who you're with um with your current interaction and and which is really a kind of lost a bit of a lost art these days uh, i think we were reading the average attention span of a human is now six seconds which is uh three seconds less than a goldfish <laughs> Jeez. Um, so you know we're in a real attention economy our attentions are scattered and distracted. So, so it's, it's really a foundation for empathy, creativity, um, higher thinking, strategy, well-being to, to be able to just be present. Um, so, so that's one reason we focus a lot on this. And um, we both have a, um, a, a Buddhist background classically. I mean, mindfulness is secular. Our training is in, in that context where it's also a very deep practice. And um, we work here with our, our head teachers, um, Capel and Catherine Sensei at Clear Sky. So, so mindfulness is really a, yeah, a depth path if we bring this sort of full awareness. And um, how we use it particularly, I think that we feels useful is, is first of all, just helping people cultivate that, that muscle of attention. Um, and, and secondly, you know, how do you integrate mindfulness? So, you know, quite a few people do a bit of meditation or so on, but how do you really weave that into your daily life? How does that affect your values, your communication? um your relationships you're cleaning up sort of bigger areas of your life um so we we try to sort of look at mindfulness in a in a wider sense really looking deeply kind of turning on the light in our lives of what what's happening what's hap what's the patterns here and and how can we have a bit more freedom of response so that's that's my thoughts what mm -hmm. like to say? well ditto to everything you just said duncan <laughs> Um, and, and I think I just want to focus a little bit about how do you apply it to your life. So um, as you probably feel as well, Matt, we're living in a very turbulent world right now. Um, you know, lots of polarization, lots of discomfort, 
around climate change and, and you know coming out of the pandemic a lot of people are feeling exhausted are feeling very run down and tired and so I, for me mindfulness is really enabling or helping you um get comfortable with the un with the discomfort it's mm -hmm. it's helping you face the discomfort now what do i mean by that i mean that there's a lot of the time when we're facing things that don't feel very comfortable for us there's a an automatic kind of turning away or running to the fridge or running to someone that's close to us to get validation of some sort and so what mindfulness does is so it says don't go there you know you have you have the resources within yourself to deal with the discomfort so just stop and 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 feel where is the anxiety in the body you know it trains that muscle for you to turn around and face your own discomfort and your own anxiety and not run away from it right um, and I think in these times, I think mindfulness is, is, is a muscle that is almost a must, um, well, is a must. It's as, is as important as brushing your teeth on a daily basis, right? Because it creates, if you don't have this, you don't train and don't have this muscle, you actually create cavities in the mind, right? <laughs> and, and there you're not able to actually, um, you know, bring out your best self because uh, you have your amygdala that gets triggered constantly with social media, with constant with people being able to contact you and, and almost demand of you to be present or to, to be there for whatever 24 hours a day, right? So um, yeah, I'm so glad that Duncan's been a pioneer of mindfulness in, in the bigger corporations. And, and um, yeah, I think it's just really important today. That's a that's great. So I mean, if I hear you, I think what you're saying is it's it's being aware of what's going on in the present moment, whether that's your bodily sensations, your emotional reactions, and just being aware of that. And could, could you go on a, a little bit more? What how does that help someone? Because if somebody's listening, they might be like, "Well, I'm aware that I'm angry, or I'm aware that I'm anxious. Now what? How how does that help them to deal with that anger, that anxiety that they might be facing?" Right. Well, the awareness is everything, right? So if you're aware that you're angry, then, you know, mindfulness trains you to go, well, where is it in the body? Okay. Oh, well, I'm feeling it in my throat or I'm feeling it in my chest. Okay. Well, what does it feel like? Well, it feels kind of hot and it feels very constricted. And, and as you develop that tools of observation of turning in and just momentarily just describing what's actually happens, guess what? the anger dissipates. And so rather than um, when you don't have a mindfulness practice, there's an immediate outburst um, onto the situation or onto the person, which, you know, 99% makes things worse, right? So it gives you and creates that muscle that gives you the space to give you space between that and the anger, right? So then you have time so that the prefrontal cortex, the, the great brain that we always want to be managing our decisions in any moment gets ignited and then we're able to actually respond rather than react, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and I guess I would add, it's it's an interesting range. In, in some ways, there's a lot of really simple things. So, so in the company setting, a lot of what I cover is kind of, you know, take some breaks, go for a walk, um, step away from the keyboard. Because um, as Karen, you mentioned, I think, you know, work-life balance and being constantly on, it's, it's become a sort of way of working. So in some senses, it's very simple. It's like, you know, are you checking in with your 
body and your emotions and your mind and you, you notice that you've done four hours back-to-back -back meetings and you're kind of overstretched and pride and stiff <laughs> and and can you just be aware enough to you know step away go for a walk what are your plants feel the sun in your face and, and to be aware of how that's affecting you know your work your attention your relationships so, so in one way it's quite simple um quite basic in another way it's also it, it's awareness and presence, but um, we, we read an interesting example from Dan Goldman's emotional intelligence book that you probably know where he said most people think they're, they have emotional intelligence because they know, yeah, I know I'm angry. <laughs> so um, mindfulness is a, bit, is a bit more than that. So it's, it's, it's really, as Karen said, kind of noticing it in the body, the, the shapings, the patterns. So it's looking a bit deeper, but it's also been aware of the impact. So the nice example Dan Goldman gives is most people actually can't really describe the impact they have when they go into a room. Mm. So they, they think they're most intelligent because they know if they're angry or not, but they actually don't know, yeah, how do people feel when I go in a room? How did I shift the dynamic? Mm. So, so my, it's also that kind of deeper awareness of, mm. can I look, can I get a bit beyond my own stories and my own sort of autopilot and snap judgments and, and look a little deeper? So not just being aware of you, but also how you are affecting the energy or other people in the room. Yeah, is exactly. And then, you know, so the simple end, just taking breaks and so on. Very practically, that helps people just be a little bit more balanced, a little bit more present, a little bit more creative. Um, and then if you can bring that sort of deeper awareness of, yeah, what's the dynamics in the room? What, what's my shaping? What's the situation? That's really a foundation for creativity or freedom of response. So people can, very practically, people can get out of just the run, 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 hamster wheel, um, and it feels very dissatisfying. You get home at night and you kind of go, what did I do? I just kind of snap judgment emails all day. <laughs> you know, I didn't ever step back or kind of add some value. So if you can actually, if we can bring that mindfulness, it helps sort of let us bring our creativity, our presence, our values to what we're doing. And, uh, and that's, yeah, it's very transformative, I think, for people's quality of life at work. I, I really like how you explain that. It's a very uh, practical and uh, very detailed. I think what I'm hearing is the more you're aware of your own emotions, your own body, how you're affecting other people, not only does that awareness help to dissipate some of that emotion, but it also helps you to respond in a way that's consistent with your values and priorities and, and what you believe is important in life. Am I, am I hearing that right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's well put. Great. Um, and so we talked a little bit about some of the challenges, but I mean, you know, you work with people, I mean, I imagine some people might say like, you know, how can mindfulness, you know, help me? I'm so busy. You know, I just have to get from, you know, this place to the next place. Why would I even want to be aware of how busy I am? Like, I'm so anxious. Like, how can I be present in the present moment? I mean, but, you know, tell me what are some of the challenges or concerns that you hear people have and how do you help them overcome some of those challenges? Is. Yeah. Well, one thing I see in the in the sort of corporate world or the business world, first of all, people's attitudes really shifted on that question. So I think four or five years ago, when I was doing it more with IBM, you had to kind of convince people, and um, there'd be people who even who did a mindfulness course would even say to me, "You know what, Duncan? That mindfulness was great, but I haven't even had a time to take a breath the whole day today." <laughs> Um, and, and what I've noticed really shifted in the last sort of year, 18 months, I've been running the, the, the program at uh, SS&C is um, I think the pandemic and the work-life balance and, and just the, you know, the level of challenge and uh, the VUCA world we talk about a lot, like volatile, uncertain, 
complex and ambiguous. People are just, they're just feeling they need a different way of working. Um, they're just feeling it's unsustainable. You just, you can't be always on, you can't be always juggling and multitasking. You, you can't just let the work-life balance break down. Um, I, I do a poll at the beginning of all my intro mindfulness uh, classes. So I have, you know, probably about 1600 sort of poll responses. Mm. And, and the biggest challenges people name are struggling with constant multitasking, mm. um, work-life balance breaking down, um, uh, difficulty concentrating and, and stress. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, like I say, people are just looking them for a different, different way. So there's, there's much less skepticism. It's just like, mm. how does this help? Or, mm. you know what, this, your weekly drop-in is the one time of the day, week I actually just stop and center and I find that so helpful. That's great. Do you do you have specific? You talk about mindfulness, about being present in the moment. But I think I heard you earlier say meditation. I mean, do you have specific practices that you recommend that people use outside of their daily life to help them develop this skill? For for sure, yeah. The first of all, I guess mindfulness and meditation. The mindfulness is really a yeah, set of practices about being present, and then meditation. There's different meditative practices that might be more about concentration or focusing on a particular object with mindfulness we're talking about a yeah, set of practices of just cultivating being present in different ways um, and um, in terms of practices yeah it's very flexible it's another reason we like about it so there's there's things people you can do at the beginning or end of the day as a formal practice so you could you know do a body scan or mindful breathing for 10-15 minutes at the beginning or end of the day but it's also beautiful during the day. You know, you can take a, a mindful minute. You can integrate it with lots of fun, simple things like, uh, you know, when you have your morning coffee or tea, you kind of, you know, you smell as you listen to the kettle boiling and then you smell it and you feel the heat in your hands. Um, or I have a, somebody, what they do is they um, plug into their phone an alarm clock that goes a beautiful um, piece, a classical piece that goes off every hour or so, and it's and 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 in the phone it, it comes up. Oh, space one space space minute, right? So just so they the, the spaciousness, and they look at it and they just stop for a minute or whatever, whatever they're doing, and and just stare into space or or just focus on the breath or right throughout the day, right? It can That's be that simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to check too, Matt, because I spoke to challenges. Karen works with quite a different sort of group, I'm curious if there's other challenges you wanted to mention, do you notice? Well, um, I feel similar to you. I felt like there was a lot of, I, I spent a lot of my time convincing people that they needed a mindfulness practice before COVID. And, you know, I was talking to a couple recently who are both partners and they're both um, business partners too. And, and they were saying, oh my gosh, you know, the pandemic was a blessing because um, we, we were like workaholics and, um, with the pandemic, we we got to slow down for the first time in our lives. They're both co-executive directors of this particular business, and and they said, oh, we we had we could work according to our body rhythms. So they said they they slept in in the morning, and then they because they're night owls, and then they would work in the evening more, and and so they're back now with everything opening. They're back, and they want to maintain that um, rhythmic. Uh, flow or routine to life that they had developed during the pandemic you know so I've, I feel like things have really worked um, for mindfulness in a way <laughs> during COVID and um, so people are just recognizing that they do need 
to have a mindfulness practice or apply this on a daily basis. So yeah, I, I feel things are easier now. Yeah, I think it has helped some people just slow down um, and realize like, yeah, I don't need to pack my day with every minute. I mean, for some people, it took away their commute. And that was like two extra hours in the day they might have and Mm -hmm. sleep or enjoy their family or just have extra downtime is a good way to help people slow down. Right. um, A quick comment too on that, Matt, with the commute, because that's a really important point, because people get the extra time, but also then they've a common struggle I see is people then lost the boundary. Mm-hmm. So they might've had a kind of 40 minute drive or something and they would just kind of decompress. Mm-hmm. So, so that would be another sort of practical mindfulness exercise we give to people to apply, which is make a little you know, ritual or routine at the beginning or end of your day to replace your commute. Mm-hmm. So you know, you go for a walk for 10 minutes around the block, take your dog for a walk, play your guitar for 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but, but have some kind of marker, you know, put a cloth over your computer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the other side. Um, you know, your your work when you went into the office gave you, you know, a very definite structure and routine, right? And and that creates a lot of peacefulness, really, because you know what you're doing. And if it's you're at home, right, and then suddenly you've got your your spouse and the family and little kids and and all that, then it can be pretty challenging, yes. right, <laughs> to, to create that structure and routine that enables you to feel balanced and at peace with yourself, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, it's obvious that this is something that's really affected your life for the positive. I'm I'm curious, how how did you get interested in this? And I mean, how have you integrated it into your lives? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, uh, my journey began, oh, over well over 20 years ago, um, where on any given day, I just had a constant, I was in a constant state of anxiety, you know, and, and there was nothing major going on to my li- in my life that was, you know, um, and I, I just constantly felt uh, fearful. I constantly felt anxious. And, and um, I, I noticed that I would try everything to self-soothe. And, and the only thing that really worked for me was developing um, a regular mindfulness or meditation practice. And, you know, I didn't need to go on drugs. It didn't cost any money. And um, I just noticed that I, it was a big life changer for me and, and I was able to create um, true mindfulness. And, and this is a regular mindfulness practice, like actually having a formal sitting practice every day and also having teachers, spiritual teachers, mentors, guides, and a community. I mean, it's not just the mindfulness practice, but the whole um, supportive container of, of well-being I had around me in the form of teachers and, and um, teachings and, and the community and, and then my mindfulness practice. Um, yeah, the, the, I, I just went from being anxious to being calm. I went from being anxious to being more concentrated. I went from anxious to being having more energy and joy. And therefore, I was able, I had the freedom and then the space to actually start to explore life more and enjoy life more. And um yeah, it was just it became much more interesting. So that's how my journey started. Mm. How about yours, Duncan? Yeah, so in some ways similar. I, I think at the beginning, I was always interested in kind of from from kind of a young age, meditation, mindfulness, and, and so on. Um, and that in that time, it wasn't so much like for anxiety or so on. It was kind of a spiritual journey. It's like, what's I, there must be more to life. What what is this? And, and meditation seemed a path of um, exploring that. And then. Um, Karen and I both share the same um, uh, meditation teachers, Capel and Catherine Sensi, we've worked mm-hmm. with for over 20 years. Amaz- amazing teachers. 
so we would do you know different kind of meditation retreats we would do mindfulness retreats so but it, for me it was really about yeah the spiritual exploration or the transformation or the learning um it was a bit later then i sort of started realizing how applicable it was kind of to my daily life because i started feeling a bit of a distance between the, the yeah the work i was doing like on retreats and then I, i'd be back working at my day job and coding software and it would be like night and day so i i found the mindfulness was a lovely bridge of how do you how do you kind of bring that meditative work then into your into your day um and i think even more than i always kept my my meditation life or my spiritual life separate from the my kind of work life mm -hmm. so what i what i discovered at some point about five five six years ago at ibm was um was a nice to be able to bridge that gap and mindfulness was a nice way of bring, bringing to colleagues and so on who weren't necessarily on a spiritual journey in that way um but but were looking to be more present and work with anxiety and mm. so, so mindfulness was a bridge for me to kind of put those two worlds together yeah i mean can you talk a little bit about that because i'm i think mindfulness is fascinating because some people can use it completely secularly without any sort of spiritual uh, nature, but other people do it to help enhance their spiritual life and other people bridge the gap. It sounds like you were able to, to kind of bridge it for both. I mean, can you talk a little bit? I mean, I'm, I'm curious to hear more. How, how did this help your spiritual growth and how were you able to bridge that in a, in a work environment? Right. So yeah, in terms of per personal journey, um, you know, you do a lot, a longer retreat you know 10 days or we've done months retreats here or, or, or so on so it's um in the mindfulness context it's a way of really really slowing down really kind of tuning into your the body the breath the emotions the patterns of thought really kind of like a movie kind of just really slowing it down frame by frame so you sort of build a, a, a base of strength and calm and then you slow the frames down and then you start going oh this 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 is how this thing's built <laughs> Uh, that's how that anger pattern or that avoidance pattern gets shaped and, and you get to see the patterns in the body so so in, a, in that sense you know being on a retreat work can can really help you yeah just see deeply and then the the magic which is kind of amazing is as you bring as karen said awareness is everything as you bring awareness or kind of shine a light on those patterns it's they kind of naturally kind of start unkinking and um example i give at work sometimes is if you if if you kind of you're hanging onto something tight like this and you're tense and tense and it's unconscious and then you notice the natural thing is you just go yeah you're you're totally right one time i was really angry and somebody's like i didn't even know it and somebody's like you're so angry and i was like oh right. yeah i am and then i just kind of kind of relax a little bit yeah so, yeah so that exactly like that and, and the wonderful thing i think about mindfulness is whether it's like in that context like a you know a 10 day retreat or something, or whether it's, you know, five minutes in the office in a, in a way that's a similar approach It's just, can I bring this presence and awareness? And then can I turn this light on? And then what's the magic that happens when I actually kind of pause and go, Oh yeah, you know, I am angry. <laughs> what happens in that sort of space? Right. Yeah. It's a great example. Um, and you, you mentioned these re retreats a couple of times. I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that, especially with your role with uh, the clear sky center, so, I mean, what is the Clear Sky Center and what are your roles there? Sure. So, um, Clear Sky is a center for transformational change. Um, so, 
people come here for treats, they come here for personal treats or individual treats, but it's, it's all about um, transcending the ego, transcending the ego fears and, and uh, you know, the blocks and, and the shadows that we have inside ourselves so that we can actually turn up present and be of real service to other people and to the world. Um, so we created this, we're a group of meditators and, and with our teachers, we, uh, we are co-founding members. We founded it in 2004. So I guess we're nearly 18 years mm -hmm. old. Um, yeah, so we're, we're really on about um, changing our behaviors and having practices that flow from transformation, right? And, and anchoring the transformation and make it real in the world or in, 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 in our daily business of our lives. Yeah, so we, are, we offer retreats here taught by our teachers. Karen and I teach the, the Integrating Mindfulness Program, which is around helping people kind of develop a mindfulness practice in daily life and supportive conditions at their work or homes. Um, so we, we offer those things. And then we just also have, um, it's just also like a haven or a refuge. We have cabins here. People can rent mm. to do their own personal retreats and they can just come and be in nature and be supported and be given healthy food and have some silence. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's also just a place people can yeah, recharge and refresh and re reconnect, mm -hmm. which we think is just so important in, in today's world. Yeah, that sounds so nice. Um, and you said these are like seven to 10 day retreats that people can come just to, to develop some of these practices. Yeah, they can be a week long. Sometimes we do weekends and, and sometimes two weeks. Generally, the, the we do two-week retreats, you know. Yeah, and then people doing their own personal work, it can range from like three days up to three months. Mm. You know, oh, depending. wow. Yeah. Mm. That's great. Um, and one thing that I think is really fascinating about both of you is you, you balance your role with the, uh, teaching at this center with also um, you have your, your other work. And so I, I want to hear about both of your works, but uh, you know, Duncan, we'll start with you. You've, you've talked a little bit about your the work at the software company. So, you know, tell us what is what is your actual role in the software company, um, and how and, and share a little bit how you balance that with the mindfulness aspects. Sure. Yeah. Great. Great question. So, yeah, my role. I'm a I'm a senior director, so I'm kind of like the lower level executive or sort of upper tier middle management or whatever somewhere in there. Um, so I manage, you know, manage an international team, um, client-facing client role. So um, looking after kind of the product direction or innovation. Um, so how, in terms of how I balance, like I, I maybe reverse in time just a little bit. So I think um, back when we got ClearSky, um, at the time I was kind of like a technical role. I would, I would sort of code software and, and do things like this. And I was using that really to support my other explorations. So I would work for contract three months on, three months off, mm. and then during the, make some money. And then I would go do retreats and travel and exploration. And, and at some point um, when we got ClearSky, I wanted to be more in um, Canada so we, we could help develop the center. So um, I thought, well, I'll move to Canada. And as part of that, I needed to take on a full-time job. My company was super supportive to help me do that. And then I figured, well, if I'm doing a full-time job, what can I learn here? Um, and then at ClearSky, we were sort of working more as teams. We were kind of individual meditators. And now we were discovering, oh, you know what? We have to kind of talk and communicate and figure out conflicts. And we need budgets. And we've got 300 acres. And we need a programming plan and a calendar. And none of us had done this, any of this before. Yeah. So um, 
I thought, you know what, it would be, it would be good if I kind of learning some of those skills at work, like how to manage and so on. And, and I had learned a lot from ClearSky. So my, my um, company kind of said, well, look, Duncan seems to have a bit about him. He seems to be developing some great leadership qualities. So can you come manage this team? <laughs> so it was, a, it was an interesting kind of dance through the years. Yeah. So I'd, I'd learned a lot here about applying mindfulness in action, communication, emotional intelligence, planning, strategy. Uh, that would kind of be noticed at work and my day job work who kind of say, well, okay, Duncan, could you, could you, can we promote you and can you take over this part of the business or help run this? And then I'd do that and I'd learn a lot from that. That would be kind of a stretch and I could bring that back to ClearSky. So this, this sort of cycled on for a number of years with sort of, yeah, ClearSky promotion, ClearSky promotion. Mm -hmm. um, uh, at some point, the company I was working with got swallowed up with IBM, kind of got acquired. So I never imagined I'd work for like a big multinational, but it, but it was, it was fascinating. It was, uh, it's 400,000 people. We are kind of a little ecosystem city in itself. And we had the opportunity to go down to Brazil. Um, so we, we taught meditation and, and things down there. I had a, a job kind of running in the Latin American part of my company. It was a great learning. And, um, and that was where we had the opportunity to start the mindfulness. Um, so at that, at that point, I'd really kind of, between the sort of going back and forth of what do I learn here and what do I learn there, I'd really felt a kind of integration in myself. Like in Clear Sky, I was bringing everything I learned from work and at work, I was bringing everything I learned about mindfulness and centering and meditation. Um, so it was coming together nicely. And then with Karen's encouragement, I was a bit resistant <laughs> at first. Um, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't think people will be interested. She was like, go on. <laughs> so then that's when I started bringing, joining um, a number of us at IBM was sort of starting a, a grassroots initiative. Um, so then, yeah, helping. And then the more I did that, the more I saw how helpful it was for people, not just myself. So that really encouraged me to, to develop the current program in SSNC. And so it feels very balanced to me now. I, I feel it's Mindfulness is an essential tool, whether you're in, working at a meditation center or whether you're an entrepreneur or in a company, you need, you need presence and awareness and yeah, I like that. Yeah, it sounds like a great uh, synergy and even some serendipity along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and Karen, tell us about the work that you do. It sounds very fascinating, um, but it, tell us about it. What, what type of work do you do with people? All right. So, um, I, I work with people who have fear of doing the wrong thing around money. Oh. They feel very wrong around money. They make themselves very wrong around money. And so I help disentangle that. And so a lot of their financial decision makings tend to be um, full of a lack of clarity and a lot of fear and, and um, you know, the... They either end up lacking self-confidence to move forward or they end up in self-sabotaging patterns or in paralysis um, and, and a fight or flight kind of feel to them. So, so yeah, so I help people disentangle so that they eventually are able to navigate the journey and make money decisions with, with ease and awareness. That, that sounds very, very interesting. We could probably spend a whole hour talking about just that, um, but I'll try to keep some of these follow-up questions short. But so I'm curious, do you know, are your clients, are they primarily people who 
maybe lack the money that they want and they're trying to make more money? Or are they people who are wealthy, but they just have a fear that they're going to lose it? I mean, I, I know some people, they're, they're millionaires, but they're, they either, they live, they, they're, they're spending more than they make or they're, they're, it's never enough. It's like they become a millionaire. They want to be a big 10 million and then they always feel afraid they're going to lose it. I mean, so what's like some of the common types of people that you work with and, and problems or stories that you hear? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I have so many stories. Where can I start? You know, I, <laughs> um, I have a, a colleague who also in this business and she works in a very, a place where all the multimillionaires and billionaires are in, in the United States. And she has people that are multimillionaires coming to her saying they don't feel like they have enough because they don't have enough next to the billionaires. So, you know, exactly what you said, that that's very true. Um, you know, different things like there was, I can give a few case studies, like one woman had a very beautiful, natural, um, entrepreneurial spirit about her and came from an entrepreneurial family, but uh, stayed working for somebody and was very talented, very creative and felt very um, locked and trapped in, in, in working for someone and had a huge desire to go out and create her own business um, in the same line and, and just had this block and she would not let herself go and she couldn't understand why. And so when we worked together, um, she made this discovery that her father was an entrepreneur, but her father went through huge bust and booms all their lives. And so they went from having a house to not having a house, to having a house, to not having a house. And so they didn't weather her as his child and, and her siblings didn't weather the, the peaks and valleys of, of, of his great business ideas. And so um, she was so afraid to go out and do her own business because she was afraid of being her father. She was afraid of um, failure. And, and so once she realized that that was, that was the self-sabotage, that was the pain that was keeping her small and keeping her within this business. After our work together, she stepped out and, and made her own and created her own business and is doing extremely well, extremely financially. Um, she's doing very well now. So that's a one example, right? Um, gosh, there's so many. Um, others that I work with would be sort of perhaps spiritual explorers or, or those in the artist world. And, and, you know, they're quite interesting because um, they, in our capitalist consumer culture, they are made to believe that they should not embrace that whole money conversation. They're artists, they're mm. healers. So therefore, um, you know, the society in a way in, in encourages them to take a vow of poverty. And so that's what I do with them. I help to untangle that and make it and, and let go of that assumption and make it okay to embrace the money conversation with their art, with their healing, with their creativeness, right? So that's a quite an interesting journey. With other people, um, yeah, you know, they they some people have been in the home working as as a you know a, a mother, and of course mothers don't get paid or whatever, and they've been out of the job market and then stepping in there where they they know what they want to do, they have the skills and talents, but there's just so much lack of self confidence to actually step in there and and move forward. So there's I work a lot with paralysis around. Um, around stepping onto their path um, and then other people uh, what I what I regard as um as having a worth wound right so they don't value what they do or they don't feel like they deserve to earn money um, and so I really work on helping build help disentangle that worth wound and and have them 
um, let go of a spiraling of shame that they get into um, around their work and about around charging their services and so forth, right? Um, many people that come to me, they, they usually have a certain level of self-awareness. They usually have some kind of mindfulness practice, you know, um, and, and they usually know that they're, they are self-sabotaging themselves and they just mm -hmm. don't know why they cannot name it. So there was another example of a beautiful, beautiful man that ran a very, very talented entrepreneur who had, you know, a couple of businesses and he came into my, my office and he says, you know, Karen, I, the business wants to grow and I'm not letting it grow. Mm. And, and so we worked through it and, and um, he had, you know, he comes from a country that has a wide uh, wealth inequality in it. There's a lot of this, you know, lots of people who are very, very poor and us people. So he felt very uncomfortable about making more money because he lived in a, in a country full of wealth disparity. Of course, that's not just second or third world countries anymore. It's becoming quite into the first yeah. world too, right? So once he saw that block and he saw what he was doing, he let go and the businesses just grew. They actually made two or three times the revenue before he started the money coaching. Wow. So, you know, there's just some beautiful stories there. And, and I just think money is such a potential um if people really work with their relationship to, with money that there's a potential to um to heal the planet and heal our relationships with people because there's so much um hurt i would say or so much um anxiety and paralysis in this whole field right yeah thank you for sharing that i mean it sounds like you're really working at people on a, their core level looking at what are their deep beliefs and past experiences and, and bringing that to the surface for them, um, which is great. And, and how does that relate to, I mean, that actually does sound exactly like mindfulness, but maybe in your words, how do you um, use mindfulness in this approach and technique? Yeah, well, I call it the mindful money coach. And um, because the beginning of the process of working with people, it's, it's actually going back and looking at how you were built around money. Um, and, and bringing your full focus and awareness to looking at the patterns um, since you were a small kid to, to the age the person is now, right? So it is all about um, using your attention span to really focus in and unsee how, what are the behaviors and patterns that you're still carrying that you don't know you're carrying, right? So um, yeah, does, does that answer your question or? Yeah, yeah. It sounds like just bringing awareness to your own personal beliefs, but you kind of help people dig through that and get, get back to, you know, childhood relationship with parents, how that's affected their beliefs. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's a very much a letting go process. Once, once we identify the patterns, then it's all about letting go those patterns and then actually identify new ones that you want to replace them with because nature doesn't like a void, right? It always fills it up with things. <laughs> That's right. I guess this, this, this would relate to, I guess, what we were saying before about the sort of deep applications of mindfulness. So it's, mm. it's, it's not like just being aware, oh, my leg hurts, so I feel angry. It's, uh. It's, it's, it's yeah, using this power of centering and presence and deepening to see the, the deeper shapings mm -hmm. um, and to be able to go through the kind of amazing work Karen does, does with people. Because it's, it's tough. I, when, as, she, as she went through her training, you know, I was a guinea pig or sometimes and I was like, ooh, this is, wow. Ooh, this hurts, this, some of this stuff. So, yeah. so the, 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 
we call it in the, the clear sky course, cleaning up big areas of your life frees up energy. Mm-hmm. So, so bringing mindfulness and awareness into these confused or blocked or sore places is very transformative. And, and Matt, you know, all this work came from Clear Sky Meditation Center. It's, it came from working with the community. Yeah. You know, because we were six years in and there was me and two others that were bringing in the revenue and, and we, we felt a, a big load on our shoulders. And um, we had this money conversation with others and, and, you know, people didn't have that much consciousness on uh, about money and spending money and earning money and, and, and you know, um, how to make this center profitable and, and generative and sustainable, right? So, and, and it would be left to the people who, well, it was left to me. I was the director of fund development. So I was very concerned about monthly donor programs and uh, creating a, a center that was sustainable and, and um I didn't have that much support and I realized, oh my gosh, there's something deeper going on here. And there was, there was a, a general avoidance of the whole money conversation because we're spiritual people, right? We're not that interested. Yeah. It's that idealistic creator artist um, issue I talked about, right? So taking the vow of poverty and, and trusting in the universe that the money will just come. And, and it doesn't, it's, it's, uh, it, it started to run out for us. And we started to look at bankruptcy and that's when I started oh. at money coaching and, and bringing it into the organization and uh, via another colleague. Um, and, and it's changed things around. I mean, everybody on our management team or on our board is is invited to clean up the relationship of money before they take on any big big portfolio or big management portfolio in within the organization and so it makes for a very healthy organization uh, where we can we can make decisions much more easier and we have like we have budget meetings where we can sometimes dance and have fun That's great. So it sounds like by by talking about it, it's just it, it brings almost like a taboo topic to the surface and makes it much easier to make these decisions, have these conversations. Um, and you know, I imagine too, you mentioned that like the spiritual seekers or the artists or the writers. I mean, you know, what do you what do you say if somebody comes and says, you know, I I want to start a spiritual retreat center, or I want to be a writer, I want to be a spiritual coach, I want to be a life coach, but I, I only have one client or I don't have any clients or how am I going to even start this program? I mean, is it the same process with people like that, that you've, that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, somebody's relationship with finances is, is a, it's a, it's a reflection of where they are in giving and receiving and offering and taking. It's a very deep study. And, and so if you are turning up and you're shaped around not being able to receive money or receive full stop, you're always giving, 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 but you have a kind of a block to receiving, well, guess what? You're not going to make a lot of money in your business, right? So um, money is just an outward symptom of an inner, um, inner issue, of an, an inner relationship with yourself that you need to unblock. Yeah, that's a very well said. And I mean, we have we've covered a lot of topics. I mean, mindfulness is something we could probably, well, have a 10 day retreat on it. So, but you guys did an excellent job of breaking this down into very, you know, practical and easy to use information. So thank you for that. Um, I've studied mindfulness before, but I feel like I have a better understanding of it now than I did. So thank you. Um, was, Was there any topics that we didn't cover that you were hoping to get to? 
maybe just you know one thing for me is um yeah it's interesting working together with karen because between us you know i'm working in the more traditional business space she's working with you know innovators and entrepreneurs and and solopreneurs and so on so it's it's and we both sort of work together sometimes with nonprofits and, and so on um so, so one thing i just find really interesting is yeah how, on the basis of mindfulness what what can we use to transform not just personally but what does it look like on an organizational level yes <laughs> so tell us about been, that <laughs> yeah so we've been working on sort of you know what is a kind of more conscious organization what does that look like because the traditional business model i think is really not it's not working for people or the planet um to be sort of driven by quarterly earnings and, and so on so uh, you know, Kliskai, we, we work, we call it a quadruple bottom line that um, Catherine Sensei, our chief visionary officer, in, introduced. Um, so we, it's financial, but also social, environmental, and spiritual. So we try to look on the, the four dimensions and we try to bring real mindfulness and awareness and, and thoughtfulness into those. So for, for me, that's just a, another, it would be another 10 day topic, but it's like once, once you sort of get a body of people saying a traditional business, being more mindful and more aware and thinking of how that affects the behavior. What can you do with that? Then how, do, how does that start shifting the organization, mm -hmm. the decisions people make, the, the awareness they have in terms of environmental or social impacts? For, for me, that's, that's a really interesting thing. How can we make a different way of working? Yeah, I mean, have you seen those shifts at Clear Sky or even at IBM or other nonprofits that you've worked with? So I think Clearsky definitely, I think this is where we take the model because the story Karen told, we, we were you know strong on the spiritual, but then we didn't have a budget and then we were nearly bankrupt. <laughs> so, so we had to learn to really integrate everything from the sort of the spiritual meditative side through to, you know, functionality, budgets, marketing, sales. And we needed to find a way to do that that was mindful and authentic and in line with our values. Um, and I think we've done, I guess I'm biased, but I think we've done a really interesting job, a really good job, where both the center and then people like Karen and myself or other people here with their various livelihoods they have feel very integrated. So, um, and I see shifts, you know, amongst people I work with in the, in the traditional company, um, if, you know, becoming more thoughtful, how they manage and, and so on. So, yeah, I'd love to, I think we can really move the needle. Um, yeah, would you like to add? What, what have you seen? Yeah, um, well, in my work, what I've seen is that in, in, the, in the, my money conversations or in my group coaching, uh, I do group coaching and, and I feel like um, as, a, as a human species, we created money to make things easier and we created this monster. Um, uh, it, and, and basically what I'm seeing in group coaching is, is, is there's a healing that happens when a group of people come together to do their money work. And what I'm also finding in, in the money space now is that I'm seeing uh, those that wealth and those with no wealth coming together. And that's very new in, in my line of work. I would normally be um, working a lot with groups that say had a artistic bent or were spiritual explorers, or I would work with somebody with a lot of money or in the traditional um, professional careers, right? Um, and so they never kind of came together where I'm noticing, and maybe that has something to do with COVID-19 and the pandemic, but I'm noticing that both groups are now coming together. And, and, and so that's exciting. And um, I work on the social impact and social venture 
um, field. So, um, you know, I'm seeing traditional investing and um, entrepreneurs and nonprofits and, um, you know, spiritual organizations starting to come together. And that is very exciting for me. Yeah. yeah. I think my, mindfulness is, I guess we see as the basis for this, you know, powerful group and organizational transformations. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a foundational piece that we need to get in there to enable these these amazing shifts that mm -hmm. the, our planet needs and we need. Yeah, in a way, you know, you could say going forward, the importance of collaboration, the importance of reciprocity, the importance of generosity, um, and and, and uh, so so we're going away from from being siloed, right? Um, in different silos to actually starting to collaborate uh, from all different socioeconomic groups, you know. So. Yeah, I think we have a long way to go, but I think we're starting to, so that's exciting. Well, I, I really appreciate you guys, you know, bringing that to the consciousness. It's, I think it's much needed in our world and with organizations and businesses and economies. So that's, that's great work. Um, and if, if people want to get in touch with you um, individually, what's the, what's the best place to get in touch with you or find out, Karen, where your work that you do with money mentoring um, and money coaching, what, what's the best way for people to, to find um, you? LinkedIn. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah. yeah. Karen McAllister. Karen McAllister. Yeah. Mindful money coach. Um, you'll also see some of my clear sky information there too. So yeah, the yeah. LinkedIn is the best and, way. Um, the website's what the mindfulmoneycoach.com yeah. okay yeah and, and for me it would be uh, i think just an email i mean it could be linkedin duncan Kryle's an unusual name so it's easy <laughs> to find or people can email me at uh, duncan at clearskycenter.org yeah or me too karen at clearskycenter.org too yeah happy oh. to uh, take any questions or follow-ups people yeah. have that's great well like i said i really appreciate both of your time um mindfulness is a uh, somewhat of an abstract concept, but I feel like you guys broke it down into a very easy to understand and easy to apply. Uh, so thank you for sharing uh, your, your wisdom and insights with us tonight. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. You, it's Matt. been a pleasure, Matt. Thanks for the great questions. Yeah, thanks for being a great interviewer. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. All right, well, it was great having you guys and uh, we'll, we'll talk soon again. All right. Okay, bye-bye. Okay.